Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we consider St. John's words from the sixth chapter, our gospel reading. Select verses, these verses. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And John goes on to write that when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And after this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So far, our text, dear friends in our Lord Jesus, the truth it has been known to make grown men cry. It can make parents pleased to hear it or... It can make their hearts and, and make their heads ache to hear it. It can make children in the principal's office squirm a bit. It can make doctors' patients unnerved. And at the same time, it can also make them elated to hear it. It can make the criminally accused cringe, or it can totally exonerate them. It can be hard to handle. Sometimes it's even stranger than fiction. It can hurt truth. Truth be told, when the truth is told, there always are consequences to it. The truth has its consequences. An offense taken, that's a frequent consequence of speaking the plain truth. Those who hear it, they're offended by it. That's what we heard today. In our texts, Jesus told the truth about himself. Many didn't like what they heard. Firstly, note this well. In speaking the truth of himself, Jesus, it's evident that Jesus wasn't interested in presenting something other than who he plainly and truly was. It's evident that he wasn't interested in marketing strategies that put a finger to the wind of public opinion. No trial balloons by Jesus, no focus groups to determine how he'd best and most effectively market himself to these particular synagogue goers in this particular demographic of Capernaum. No initial facade, if you will, behind which to, to hide the real Jesus. And, and only after a time would he show his real, his more controversial self. Don't you think he knew that what he had to say would bring more often than peace, would bring a sword? Jesus was direct in what he said, he was unambiguous. He was frank in speaking of himself. The way we like our doctors to deliver the medical truth to us. The way we like our politicians to speak straightforwardly. Jesus spoke the candid truth. As his church in every age is bound to do. And many hearers took offense. As hearers of every age will. Many took offense at Jesus, and many still do, because, first of all, he claims absolute exclusivity. He's the one and he's the only. He said it so many times in our text today. Consider, he said, I am the living bread. And with that definite article, the word the, he excludes everything else. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. He said, if anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. 
He said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. In fact, Jesus leaves himself so clear that there's nothing at all that he's left to the imagination. Remember, he said, unless, unless one eats the flesh of the Son of Man and drinks his blood, he has no life in him. That's candid. That's candid. It's like the doctor who couldn't be more plain in saying, look, friend, unless you take this antibiotic or unless you have this surgery, friend, you're not going to live. Jesus singles himself out as from all others as the only source of life. And that, friend, is not tolerated in a pluralistic society like ours. Jesus, Jesus can be a way among many other ways but if he claims to be the only way, great offense is going to follow. A truth. The world would gladly permit him to be a truth, but not the truth. Not the only truth, not the life. And friends, we're never stronger when we'd mingle with the names of idols and false gods, the only name, Jesus' name, given under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus' exclusivity. It's the truth. And it has its consequences. Many take offense, too, because when he speaks the candid truth, it can be hard for our ears to hear it. So John reports that having heard the candid truth that Jesus spoke about himself, many, John writes, of Jesus' own disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? It's a hard saying, John writes, that they said scleros. The word from which we get sclerosis, hardening, arteriosclerosis, the hardening of the arteries. It's a hard saying, they said. In other words, it's not soft on the ears. Jesus, the one and only life through eating and drinking his flesh and blood. And not only is that hard for our naturally sinful ears to hear, but how many of us find it soft and easy on our ears to hear what Jesus has to say about us and how we are, how we'd be without him. Consider in the text what he says about that. He says the spirit gives life. Literally, he says the spirit is the life worker, the quickener. In other words, he's saying, he's telling you and me that apart from the spirit's work, we're dead in sin. That's the truth. By nature, we're DOA. Dead on arrival, D-A-C maybe, dead at conception. That's what the psalmist says, dead in our sin. And that's a hard saying, but it's the truth. And we've got to hear it. Or consider this other saying Jesus has today, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, eating, in the, eating and drinking in faith as all Christians, young and old, do. But it also entails... In time, inevitably, the eating and drinking of his flesh and blood in the Holy Supper, sacramentally. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he says, you have no life in you. Not soft on our natural born ears, but it's the truth. Hard sayings, scleros, hard sayings. Not easy on naturally born ears, naturally itching ears. Ears that want to hear a less offensive chord struck, not only for our own listening pleasure, but because we'd imagine it more inviting, a more inviting tenor.
or any others, visitors happen to be listening in, but friends, if the doctor never delivers the hard diagnosis, who's ever going to long for or appreciate the treatment? If ears never hear the hard truth of their sin and and the eternally deadly consequences of remaining in it, why would ears ever bother to listen to or appreciate their Savior from it? In every age, the candid truth of Jesus Christ has its consequences. And sadly, every age sees the same reaction to it. John writes, And from this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back. And they no longer walked with him. Were some pulled away by the the sway of shifting public opinion? Perhaps. Did some of his disciples find it simply easier to go with the flow instead of swimming upstream? Like confessing Christians always must? Could be. Did some, do some still, no longer walk with him because they judge him no longer supremely relevant to their lives? Yes. And what the twelve must have thought, right? As there they watched before their very eyes, Jesus' successful ministry and the numbers shrinking by the minute. Consequences of speaking the truth. Beholding the consequences of speaking the truth, the question then comes to you as it came to them. Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? The question's unavoidable. It's unavoidable for every Christian. It's like the, the angel of the Lord, remember in the Old Testament? The angel of the Lord standing impassable on that narrow pathway and so that Balaam and his donkey couldn't get by him, couldn't get by to the right, couldn't get by to the left. There he stood, impassable. You can't sidestep this question. No matter who you are, you can't sidestep this question. Every Christian must consider, do you want to go away as well? When the truth of Jesus, a stumbling block to some, as Scripture says, foolishness to others, yields the consequences that it will, do you want to go away too? To the unavoidable question, Peter, in our text, instinctively And I say instinctively, confesses with his lips what he was first enabled by Christ's words and the Spirit's work to believe in his heart. And to know in his mind. And and so instinctively he says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. A beautiful confession of Christ. And the life-quickening character of his word. It's no wonder then, is it, that, that, that the same phrase appears in our liturgy where? You, you know where. We sang it this morning right before the reading of the gospel words of Christ. Still life-quickening words. Still words of eternal life. Beautiful confession. But don't hail Peter for it. Don't hail Peter for these words. Rather, it's more a testament to Christ's words and what they work in a man. Remember what Jesus said, my words are spirit, they're life. Jesus' words of himself work that belief in the heart of Peter and the twelve, and you and me. 
and enable our tongues to confess what he's brought our hearts to believe. And what are Jesus' words of himself? Words that we've been hearing for the last weeks in the gospel reading, words that we frankly hear every single Sunday. That he came down from heaven, the eternal Son of God, enfleshed to give himself over to the death that our sins truly and verily deserve. When he gave and shed his flesh and his blood on the cross for the life of the world. And like all truth, that truth too has its consequences. But I'll let scripture report the consequences of Christ's work for you. Scripture says he was delivered up for our transgressions and raised the consequence for our justification. The truth, God was in Christ, Christ alone, reconciling the world unto himself with the consequence that he no longer counts our trespasses against us. The truth, he bore our sins in his own body, his flesh, his blood on the tree, Peter writes, with the consequences that we through baptism, having then died to sin, might live unto righteousness by his stripes. Consequence, you're healed. The truth, Scripture says that the Son of Man was lifted up, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. How sweet the words of truth breathed from the lips of love. So said Scottish poet James Beatty, Beautifully put, beautifully fitting here too. And the truth is, to whom else would we go? Who else has done for us what Christ has done for us? One once put it rather this way, kind of painted a picture of it with his words. He said a man fell into a deep pit, a miry and a slippery pit. As he lay hopelessly dying there at the bottom of that pit, philosophy came by. And looked in and said to him, my friend, I'm sorry for you. And then philosophy told him, if you ever get out of that place, take care that you never fall into it again. That was no help. And then self-help came along and peered into the pit and said to the man there, the man lying there with two broken arms and broken legs. He said to him, self-help said to the man, well, I grieve your plight. If you can manage to pull yourself up two-thirds... Even halfway, I'm sure someone else would help you with the rest. But in the man's condition, that was it's mockery. And then Christ Jesus came along. And descending into the pit, he lifted the man, put him on his back, the dying man, and he lifted him out to safety and to life. To whom else would we go? Note well, I won't make much mention of it here this morning, but note well too that Jesus ties himself, salvation, to his word. Isn't that what Peter said? You have the words of eternal life. Eternal life is going to be found where his word is found. So don't disconnect yourself from that. Don't walk away from that. The message of Christ and his cross will seem foolishness to some. A stumbling block to others. But to those being saved, that is all who believe on Christ crucified, it alone is the power of God unto salvation. So don't walk away from that. 
One last point to consider today. On that day in Capernaum, Jesus put it very candidly to the twelve. He said, do you want to go away as well? And then our attention always, we shift it to Peter. We focus on, with bated breath on his reaction. We know what's coming. But today, for a moment, keep your attention on Christ. And consider, why did he put it to Peter and the others that way? Was it not because he was preparing them? Was it not because he knew well that that very question, do you want to go away as well, would be put to Peter and the others and to you every single day for the rest of your life? Was it not because he knew that courtyard campfires would be in their future? And ours, courtyard campfire conversations around which Christ-like dialect would threaten the admitted Christian with the consequences in this world of being identified as a Christian? And was he not preparing us all for the chance there to confess boldly? Was he not preparing them and us all for, for our dark Gethsemanes? When we would see the truth of Christ so often betrayed by the kiss of a friend, bound and arrested and sold away, was he not preparing us for those Gethsemanes when we'd have the chance not to run away into the shadows, but to stand and declare, yes, I'm one of his. Do with me what you will. Was he not preparing us? Truth is, we often flee into the shadows of Gethsemane like they did. Truth is, we lose courage around the campfires like Peter did. But the truth is that because of Christ, even that's forgiven. And remember whose words and deeds forgave Peter's weak confession, yours and mine. Remember whose words revive a robust spirit to confess him, despite the consequences. Remember whose words restored Peter and compelled him, indeed enabled him, to confess the truth of Jesus Christ while dying upside down upon his cross. The consequences of his confession. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God keep us in them. In his name, amen.